Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, my guest is Bruce Phillips. Bruce is a seasoned CPA and a passionate advocate for cloud technology. His leadership expertise running his own CPA firm, tenure as a CFO and COO of tech startups, and experience as a cloud technology tester makes Bruce one of the most respected names in cloud accounting. Prior to merging with top 100 firm Aprio to co-found Aprio Cloud, Bruce spent seven years at EY helping clients navigating challenging tax and compliance environments, and then spent 25 years as partner in Harshman Phillips based in Atlanta, Georgia. As the managing director and partner of Aprio Cloud, Bruce is responsible for the overall growth of the firm. With his passion for cloud solutions, Bruce also leads the technology and innovation group within Aprio in search of the latest software to add efficiencies, reduce reliance on manual, repetitive work, and capitalise on cutting-edge tools for financial advisors. Bruce is a graduate of the College of Willem & Mary with a Bachelor of Business Administration and Accounting. Welcome, Bruce Phillips. Oh, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. How long have we known each other? Nine years for sure, maybe ten. It's at least 10 because I knew you before we arrived in North America and that was 2000, it was December 8, 2012. Oh, that's right. It's 11. It's about 11. I'm intrigued to sort of um, perhaps even dig in a bit further than that and, you know, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want to reveal your age, of course, and, and your wisdom and experience. <laughs> I'm, proud of, I'm proud of that. But in terms of accounting, though, you, you, you were in a very old school firm before sort of starting on the, the cloud journey, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't you know, call it old school. We'll call it traditional. It was, if we were traditional for, tr- traditional for 25 years, you know, audit and tax, pretty much. That was with a partner. Tell us sort of the story of that firm a little bit. Actually, my partner and I, Bill Harshman, founded uh, Harshman Phillips in 1992. I was with uh, EY, or at the time, Arthur Young, then Ernst & Young, and now EY, <laughs> from like 1983 to 1990 or 91, I think. And, um, and then I left and went uh, to a local firm that was very similar to actually what we ended up becoming. But uh, I ran their audit group. I was a young partner. And it uh, turned out the, the guy that brought me over had a heart attack and passed away. And it was a very, very sad event. And uh, he was kind of my mentor, and I'd only known him for less than two years. But it was on March 17th. He was an Irish guy. It was on St. Paddy's Day, like in Savannah. I mean, it was like, you can't get more Irish than that. So we're sitting there with this firm, and I was the audit guy, and I was working on you know, most of the largest clients in the firm. And we had some, some I call them marquee clients in Atlanta, Georgia, with, you know, the companies and firms that built the city, everything from the skyscrapers to the stadiums to the... You, you name it. They were, they were pretty much built a lot of the city. We're sitting there. It's March 17th and they're getting ready to do their taxes. And I'm like, I wasn't even a tax guy. I didn't know what to do. And I was trying to make sure the clients didn't bolt. And, uh, you know, of course we had every firm in this, in the city going after our largest clients when they heard what happened. So I called up my old friend, Bill Harshman, who happened to have been uh, head of the tax department at Arthur Young for a long time. And I was like, you know, what do you do? And he says, I'm just kind of piddling, doing my own thing. And I was like, why don't you come help me? <laughs> he came in. We met with some of the older clients. We needed some gray hair. I was 30 at the time. You know, we ended up 
you know, saving some of the clients, gotten through busy season, said, hey, this, this is kind of nice. I'm an audit guy. You're a tax guy. Let's start our own firm. So we did. 25 years later, we were still doing it. And I think that's probably longer than I've done anything in my life. Kind of a shorter term guy. But anyhow, that was till like the late 90s. And I started doing some real estate and some construction and some technology CFO stuff and doing a little more accounting. And, and then before you know it, the, the, the cloud stuff started coming out. And I said, I think I'm going to jump into that. And fortunately, that was early, like 2009 and 10. And met the Zero folks in 2011. And the rest is history. So that, that was the genesis. Do you think the passing of your mentor was a catalyst for, for you know, the longevity of, of that firm and, and really wanted to sort of try and prove something to yourself? I don't know. I think it was definitely somebody who saw something in me. And I mean, I, I had never sold one client. I had never done one tax return when I was basically running that firm. But, you know, we surrounded ourselves with really good people like, like Harshman. I got to learn from him. And then before you know it, you know, we're, we're growing. I remember when we first started, we said, listen, we, we started around a conference room table. There were three of us at the time, actually. And I said, we're each, we're each going to take $1,000 a month salary to start. And then we're going to increase it as we, as we grow. You know, and went from a thousand to two thousand to three thousand. Before you know it, we were you know twelve thousand each, and I think it was less than a year. So we didn't really have to suffer a whole lot in starting the business, but but you know we grew from three people to five to seven. I think I think at our at our heyday we might have been twenty two, which is scary now to think about it because now what became HPC and is now Aprio Cloud, we have over a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm. You know, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know what you do. Learned along the way. Do you see in some of the people that you bring in, do you see yourself in, you know, Bruce in, in his early 30s sort of starting out and trying to mentor some of the people that you're bringing into the, to the, to the business today? <laughs> Absolutely. And this, they're younger than 30, actually, because, you know, nowadays they're in their mid-20s. They come in and, um, you know, I, I encourage them like, like, like I did to learn a lot of different things. You know, you can't really thrive if you're a generalist anymore, but I think being a generalist allows you to be successful at picking out your niches. So, you know, I was fortunate. I was an audit guy. Then I learned tax and then I learned accounting and, and then I learned technology and I have all four. And then there's not a lot of people nowadays that actually have that. So I want them, encourage them if they can get some audit experience. I think it's great. Get some income tax experience, get some technology experience, get some specialty experience, whether it be I'll use one of some example, sales tax or, or payroll and HR or, or, or even just using technology to automate accounting data or data visualization and forecasting and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's important that you get a broad-based knowledge and then you can actually do one of them really well. In that 25 years you, you, were, you were doing Harshman Phillips, do you think that there was any change as, as significant that you know, the cloud and the, and the sort of connected general ledger has, has, has brought about more recently than, than there was in those days? I will say when I started, we were actually writing things on, we call it 17 column or 14 column, you know, and you had to add all the things up and you had to work on the calculator and you had to teach people how to use an adding machine by going to, you gave them a phone book and let them basically add up on the phone book. <laughs> now I'm saying actually how, how old I really am. I remember carrying my Apple computer on a plane from Atlanta to New York in one of those big, huge bags, you know, with a shoulder strap. You know, we were one of the first, one of the first firms, I think, that was, that was doing the Apple with the, with the disc that you put in and you had to get the paper clip to get the disc out. 
So that was a big change, I think, with some auto, with some automation and, and, and computers and a lot of people, you know, but, but it's not nothing like it is, you know, what, what's happening today where basically everything can be automated. And, and you know, we don't, we don't believe in, I don't believe in, in any data entry in any paper. Someone hands me a piece of paper. I hand it back to them. They hand me something. I take a picture of it and crumple it up. Just, there's just no room for paper. And you know, I, I could go on and on with the whole file room story and everything. When, when I finally got rid of our file room. <laughs> Did you burn it? <laughs> no, but, but I, had, I had all these plans to put a ping pong table in because I thought that was really cool. And all the companies <laughs> I was working with in San Francisco had ping pong tables. We did have a smash the server party. That was pretty cool. We got the last software that could only be loaded on a server to get rid of the servers. You know, we had these, we had these rolling files that were kind of a big deal, you know, because you could put more stuff in less space. And so, oh, we're going to get rid of all that and get everything scanned and get everything. And then before you know it, I hired my first person in New Zealand. You know, that was a referral from, from the founder of Zero. You know, she was remote and I was like, the next person's remote. And before you know it, I like to sorry, yeah, there's no files, but I had no one to play ping pong with. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the only one in the office. <laughs> I had to put would have had to put the wall up and play with play ping pong with myself. <laughs> the funny thing that, you know, we've sort of noticed, and I don't know whether you you know you, you might agree with this, but the how technology has sort of changed throughout the world over the last, say, 10, 15 years, right? Like how would you, you know, you're very experienced at, you've seen industry in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, you've got clients all over the world. How, how do you think the US is sort of, the, the industry in, the, in North America is compared to other regions and, and adoption of technology and, and how the industry has sort of changed? It's interesting when you talk about the industry. I, I remember my first trip to Australia, one of the ones actually before, not the ones when I went with you, but other times, and that... Um, you know, I remember that the Australian banking and the government were all working together with business and, and, and to make things more automated. You could, you know, could pay people through you, through the banks. You didn't have to do all the things you did here. And in America, people were still writing checks 10 years ago. Right. And I, and, and I was like, I, I don't understand why, you know, why can't we have what, what they're doing there? I remember, you know, zero when they came here had a, Put in a check writer because they couldn't sell their software if they didn't have a check writer in, <laughs> which was cr- which was crazy. But I think that I don't know if it's the the powers that be or the government or what here or the lobbyists. We should have what what the way things are done in, in the UK and Australia. I think in a lot of ways, but I'm not sure it'll ever happen. Which would make accounting easier. It would, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of structural differences. I mean, the sheer volume of banks and and lack of interconnectedness here makes it harder. I mean, maybe. Um, Outside of the east and west coast, right? It's a, it's a different country, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And even inside some of the east and west coast. <laughs> what are the, the things that you still derive the most satisfaction from in, in your role? And my role has definitely changed a lot. And it's, and frankly, it's still changing. I would say building relationships, if I had to say anything now. And, and the kind of relationships that built over the last 10 years are people like having friends all over the world, like we talked about, and, you know, going down to Melbourne or Sydney or, or London or, or Auckland or wherever in Singapore and basically being able to see, meet your peers that, that know you, that have heard of you, that want to talk to you is, was, was pretty amazing. And I like to say relationships matter. That's kind of the thing that I say, because the relationships do matter. And that's how we ended up working together here. Now, I think the kind of relationships are a little bit different. I'm actually getting some satisfaction out of, you know, a lot of people have, are trying to figure out what to do with their business, whether it be to grow it or to, 
transfer it or to or to to modify it and things like that. And I've gotten gotten involved with some new new people that I've met through other relationships that has been pretty rewarding lately that are doing different kinds of businesses. I love learning about all kinds of businesses. As you heard me, you know, technology or whether it be e-commerce or, you know, we got you know clients building airports. We've got, you know, construction, real estate, you name it. It's kind of, kind of, I think that's one of the unique things that accounting brings to, to people is you can, you're never going to get bored because there's so much to learn and so many things that you can do. And if you've got the idea that you're, you're like, what do they call that? Constant learning or whatever over your lifetime. I get bored pretty easily. So there you go. <laughs> You've now got a very successful firm in inside Aprio. You know, you, you had an amazing exit into a, into a larger firm a couple of years ago. Well, what are the big differences between, you know, sort of uh, operating inside a larger firm and having your own brand and, and the likes prior to that? Yeah, I mean, there's no question it was a, it was a big adjustment. I think, you know, if you talk to people today, I w- I'm looking pretty smart by doing it two and a half years ago. <laughs> you know, there's definitely, the jury was still out. You know, did you leave a lot on the table? People say you're giving up your freedom. And uh, I remember, I don't remember who I was talking to, but we argued about, well, maybe you're not giving up your freedom. Maybe you're actually getting your freedom because now you can, now you become, become part of something bigger, which we are. And I, and I love it. There's no question. I, I did the right thing and we chose the right partner in Aprio to, to merge into. And, and, and frankly, my, my boss, as I like I call him boss, I have a boss now after not having a boss for 25 years, but being in the big firm, I mean, definitely has its challenges. You know, there's, there's the politics and the multiple people and it takes longer to get things done. I think I've been insulated from it a little bit in that. I don't know if it's my personality or, or they just don't want to deal with me, but they let me kind of do my own thing, which is good. And then I think this, it's benefited the firm and, and frankly, Aprio cloud too, by us doing that. We've kind of become the innovation hub within a big firm as we, we, we can get things done. We're much smaller. You know, we're, we're like in the U.S., I think we're 75 people out of 800 people. We're not even 10% of the firm. But we innovate and we try new things where it's easier to implement something across 30 or 40 people than it is 300 or 400. And so we have success. And then a lot of the things that we've done successful, we've rolled out across the whole firm, which is actually pretty satisfa- satisfying. The other big changes are actually being able to offer all kinds of other services other than accounting and tax to our clients and, and have, I can pick up the phone or get on, you know, Zoom or Teams or Slack and, and send a note off to someone who's an expert in almost anything. So I don't have to know everything anymore. I basically just have to know who to go to for what. And so the clients are getting better advice. The clients are getting, you know, getting access to, to real experts at everything you can imagine from you know, international tax to cybersecurity to to audits to, you know, even like the SOC stuff, you know, that we did. I don't have to know all that stuff. I just got to just got to bring in the right people. I mean, as a client, that's appealing, right? Like, you know, I, I don't want to have to go to six different accountants to, as our business grows to, um, to access those, those various services. Do you think that that's, that M&A in the industry is going to continue after, you know, sort of post-COVID because of those reasons? I do. And I think, you know, we, our board and our CEO keep up with, you know, the trends and what's going on in the industry. And, you know, there's, I think there's been a few firms in the top 100 that are getting together. And I think there's different reasons that firms get together. But I will also tell you, even at the, even at the lower level, and, you know, we're looking at some smaller groups now to kind of merge in or, or add into what we're doing. They have the same challenges that we had growing, you know, people, 
finding good people and keeping the good people. And nowadays, it's a lot harder. And then you're competing with these people that are these one-stop shops. And if you're just doing one thing, as you said, you'd rather deal with one person or at least have one relationship manager that can control and bring in everything versus having a specialty firm do your accounting and another firm do your tax and have to go to another firm to do this. That's just, it's, it's not efficient. I think you're going to see a lot more of the, the smaller specialty groups get swallowed up. And the opportunity is for those firms to be able to offer, just like what happened with me, for those firms to be able to offer additional specialty services to their existing clients and continue to have their culture, hopefully, and serve them the way they, the way they, uh, they serve them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I tend to agree. We can touch on talent for a bit. I mean, I vividly recall pre, pre-COVID, the primary concern or the primary worry of firms or the, the, the thing that they were thinking about most was, was attracting and retaining good talent. That sort of dissipated temporarily while, you know, COVID's going on and a, lo- a lot of perhaps the, the firms that are in the middle of the technology adoption curve or, or further back than that of, you know, re- really had to try and catch up to, to find software or to find systems and processes that meant that they didn't have to physically be in the same room as all their staff to, to know where things were, were up to. But I, I imagine that that will come back with a vengeance, you know, in, in probably later this year or early next year. I think there still is a talent. And I think what's happening is a lot of people, at first, a lot of people didn't want to leave their jobs because they weren't getting recruited because they did, there was so much uncertainty around, right? Then what happened, and I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day, in the accounting profession is, you know, there'd been one continuous tax season for like 18 months because of COVID and because of the extension of the deadlines. And, and I've heard of people who are in the tax business saying, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm not doing this in the past. At least I got to take some vacation and do this and that. But we went from one busy season straight through the summer into the fall into another busy season. And so I think people are going to be getting out of the tax business, which is going to, which is interesting, which means there, there's going to be a shortage of tax accountants, but also as things are getting less um, uncertain, I think you'll start to see people make a move. We want to make a move, but, but there's also, because of the changes in the industry, there's people out there now that are paying salaries that are 20, 30, 40, 50% higher than traditional firms are, are paying and firms are losing people to that. So how, do, and how are you going to replace that? So what, what's going to happen is, is some of those firms are going to say, I can't staff what I'm doing. Maybe it's time to merge up. <laughs> So that's one thing. And I think the second thing, which I'm seeing now a little bit, is we have the COVID thing and we have the remote workers. So we had to change our, our story a little bit because everyone out there is working remote now. So our pitch before was come work for a remote company. Now everybody's doing it. So now we have to say, come work for a company that's always been remote and will always be remote. Yeah, there's no, th- no threat to come back to the office. <laughs> What's going to happen when these big firms, I'm seeing it now, I'm reading it in the, in the news and stuff. Some of the, even the bigger non-accounting firms, when they want to bring people back in the office, the people are like, I don't want to go. They've had a taste. They've had a taste of this out here and they're not going back. So they might start doing their own thing. They might start consulting. They might, you know, start working in, you know, on Upwork, anything, but go back into an office. So anyhow, I think, I think there's going to be a, I was reading something the other day too, about a complete change in the workforce. It's going to completely, completely be different, you know, a year from now than it was two years ago. I tend to agree. I, I wonder how that's going to change the talent market in the industry. You've got people working all over the world. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, but, but even if they do that, you know, they've got very good US experience. 
Do you think that there there is a world where you can legitimately recruit? And I'm not I'm not saying you know sort of you know there there is the Philippi, you know sort of the the low, lower cost outsource model. I'm not we can leave that alone just for a sec. But you know, is, is there a world that you can recruit from from Mexico, from New Zealand, from from Eastern Europe and, and get the work done that you need done in a, in a quality manner? I think the answer is yes. You know, you have, you have language a little bit, you know, you have to talk about, then you get into the, like you said, the, the lower cost, whether it be the Philippines or India or whatever. But, but you also have to decide are these people going to be client-facing or not client-facing, which is something that, that we've had to deal with. But I think the other thing, which has been interesting, and this is part of being part of a big firm, is we were contracting with people overseas and having people work with us. And I will say that as you get bigger and as you have a bigger target on your back, your risk tolerance is different. So we were not allowed to hire people all over the world anymore. And my comeback was, well, that's not acceptable. We're going to be a global company. We need to figure out a way. If we can't do it that way, you've got to figure out a different way. And we did figure out a different way. And we found a global PEO that basically now we can hire people anywhere and they're responsible, number one, for keeping up with local laws and employment law and all the other things that we need to be concerned about in those jurisdictions. And it completely, you know, mitigates the risk of, of getting dragged in and having to become a taxpayer by some foreign country because you're hiring people in there. It's like taking the state thing that we deal with now and, and making it 10 times bigger and riskier, right? So, so we've actually figured out a way to do it. So we can now have the ability from a process, legal, and administration and risk management standpoint to hire people anywhere we want. Oh, well, in 180 countries, I think is what it is now. That's close enough. <laughs> yeah, there's a few countries we can, which are shocking, actually, when, when you start talking about which ones you can't hire in. I, I, I get it. But some of, them, some of them you wouldn't believe. You can't hire somebody there? Nope. There's reasons outside of our control for those countries. Yeah, there's enough <laughs> other countries around with good people, so that's okay. Does that dramatically change the labor market for, for the industry and, well, and, and all industries? You know, I mean... Over the next ten years, is is that going to be a significant trend that that enables you know firms to literally be twenty four seven and in a in a moderate cost based environment? It should. There's still people now that don't want to do that or want or run a you know that don't want their people out of the office and it's crazy. But they tend to be a little they tend to be a little older, a little more old fashioned, and they're going to you know retire and things are going to change. But I don't think you can talk about this without talking about the, the Philippines and the Indi- and India and places like that, or Eastern Europe, like Ukraine, you know, Argent- even South America. You, know, you get your time zone issues, right, that you got to deal with, which can be a positive or a negative. But more importantly, what we're finding is at least with our team in the Philippines, and you know, we have a pretty large team and partner in the Philippines that I happened to you know meet around the time I met you back in 2011. At first, it was like, how are we going to find people that know U.S. tax? Because you can't, you can't just hire a person. How are they going to know U.S. tax over there? Well, sure enough, some of them were working for some of the big firms that had that had groups over there, so they got to learn and got trained by them, and now they're working for us. <laughs> just send them a Christmas card. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. But what we're finding is is that they're just as good as the people in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, now, now you're not going to, ha- you might not have you know partner tax partners, but some of them could become like tax managers doing the work where basically by the time the work comes over here, it's done and reviewed and which is shocking, right? 
we're early into it, but so far indications are that, that there's a really good chance that that's going to happen. Think about being able to, 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 you know, and there's other costs, you know, you have to be able to manage it over there, but technology allows you to do that now. And there's other certain risks and you have, you know, IT risk and, and all kinds of other things. You get, you know, instability of a country where there's all kinds of things, typhoons. I mean, there's all kinds of different risks, but you just got to kind of think through the risks and figure out how to mitigate each of them. But I, I generally do believe that, you know, what is it they call it? globalization? I don't even remember. We did an interview with Ian at one point ago, and I, we talked about globalization, mobilization, commoditization, and productization, four things, the isations. But globalization and mobilization means people can move all over that they want. Globalization means people are doing business cross-border because they can now. Commoditization is some of these things where basically people just want the lowest cost. You're getting commoditized. Compliance commoditization is, is still gathering pace, I think. Absolutely, which is why you get into this whole, you know, advisory thing. And I did a did a webinar yesterday with the AICPA talking about forecasting and planning and, you know, it, true, you know, CFO type advisory services that can now be done where you take, you know, accountants who typically accountants are basically, they, they look backwards. They report on backwards data. Well, that, that's going to all be automated. It's all going to get commoditized. So if you can't take the backwards data, get it correct, and start talking about what's going to happen in the future or how to make what you want to happen in the future come to reality, you're going to get left behind. We, we have been having that conversation for a couple of years at least now, <laughs> about 10. <laughs> and it's not going to happen like this, right? I mean, it's not going to happen in a, in a year or two, but it's already it's starting to happen now. I mean, the, the other conversation that, that we've been having for a while, right, is, is you know, the, the, the true, you know, automation and reduction of manual labour or elimination of manual labour in entry, you know, in, in, in book entry and, you know, r- right up until sort of, say, prep. We don't seem any closer than, than what we were five or ten years ago. Do you, th- do you agree with that? I think we're closer than we were ten years ago. I think we're a little closer than we were five years ago, but it's not quite where I think it could or should be yet. And a little frustrating for me personally in that I being, now that we have, you know, we went from five to a hundred people, I don't know what's going on and everything anymore. And I can't tell why I want to just like take a week and spend and, and mirror what our people are doing so I can see what the heck they're doing and ask the question, okay, so you're doing that. All right. Why? Is there a better way? There's got to be a better way. I know there's a better way. And I, we haven't really been able to do that yet. But I do think that, that what we have done a nice job of is separating the accounting functions into different cycles. So you have, you have your, your AP management and bill pay. You know, you order something, you get it, you get billed for it, and you got to pay it. Okay. And then you got to get it in your ledger and reconcile. How do we do that? Then you have the sales, AR, billing and collection, right? You do that. And then you look at payroll and HR and it's its only, and if you break them down into the different ones, you can really figure out how to do each one best. And then of course, the reconciliation and reporting and the automation and the ledger pulls it all together to generate, whether it be financial statements or, or charts and graphs or KPIs or benchmarks or whatever, right? And then of course, you use all that to figure out where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So I think breaking it down actually is the way to do it and, and help it. But I am a little disappointed in how how it's not more automated than I think it should be too, just like you. I mean, I think the responsibility lies directly with the general ledger players. I mean, they've got the money and the 
and the market capacity or the market penetration in order to achieve it. They do, and there's a lot of people playing in it. And I was talking to somebody again the other day about the idea that we we were on a lot of these demoing a lot of these you know platforms and companies that are doing all this, but we were too early and they weren't doing it well and it didn't work and we gave up and now they're back. It's three years later. They're like, well, my team doesn't want to work with them because you know we worked with them already and they didn't deliver. And well, so there's a thing about being too early, but I do think people are are, are starting to do that a little bit. But it's always, even 10 years ago, it's always been about automating the 99%. Because there's always going to be something that can't be automated. There's always the non-routine one-offs and everything. But if you can automate all the other stuff and get that done in 10% of the amount of time, you could spend twice the amount of time on the one-offs and still be 50% you know, efficient, right? It's making non-routine and one-off stuff routine when possible. And then it's, of course, automating the heck out of that. And then focusing your time on the other stuff. The irony, perhaps, is that if the machine does the 99%, then who's going to learn how to actually do it when you need to understand it? <laughs> no, you're 100% right. And, and I'll, I'll give a, this is going to also show how old I am, but I'll give the example of, of the accounting, of accountant and depreciation. You take a young accountant now and they have no idea how depreciation is calculated. The system just did it. It just does it. Yeah. <laughs> And I will tell you from maybe 10 or 15 years ago with the software is that if, if you don't answer a question right through the process, it will apply the wrong thing. And you'll never know because you don't know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Anyhow, you get so, but, um, you know, versus calculating depreciation manually, knowing that, you know, we could calculate double declining balance depreciation manually on a piece of paper on a calculator and, and knowing and at least giving it a smell test to know if it's right. But you're right. They will have no idea. If it's right. The famous Bruce Phillips smell test. So, so where to from here for you? Do you, uh, you're enjoying what you're doing and, and you've set yourself up in a, a, a fabulous and amazing and successful lifestyle and you're happy uh, literally cruising along at the moment? As you know, I bought a boat at the beginning of COVID and moved on to it. And I just moved the boat from Fort Lauderdale to Boston, which is a, a bucket list, you know, two and a half week trip up the East Coast, which was amazing. So much so that we were actually able to work during the day on the trip in the, in, in the salon. That was, that was, that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. People were like, is your background moving? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> it's not fake. It's not virtual. It's not fake. It's, it's not fake. You know, I refuse to use those fake backgrounds because I'm like, people are like, I love your background. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's real. It's real. It's real. <laughs> and what's next? I mean, I love what I, I love what I'm doing now. I mean, we're, Aprio's growing. We're, I think we're one of the most innovative and technology forward firms in the top 100, top 50. I guess we're in the top 50 now in the, in the U.S. We're growing in terms of, you know, on the acquisition trail, we're growing, coming up with new services, we're automating. So I still got a hell of a lot left in the tank. I, I get bored. I, I would be bored playing golf and tennis every day. So I get bored now and I'm already been, I'm busy. So there you go. Looking back, is is there for for some of the um, the younger accountants coming through? Is there one one takeaway from your career, one piece of advice that uh, that you would offer them as as they embark on a career in accounting? Well, I think it's the lifetime learning. Always be learning, making, getting better at everything. You know, relationships matter. Make make relationships and build relationships 
you can do that with people that you like. And then later in your career, you actually get to work with people that you like, which is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, when, when you're successful, then you can actually choose who you work with too, which is, which is, which is even better. And, you know, so I would just say, learn, build relationships, treat people right, do the right thing, all those kind of good stuff, because it definitely, definitely comes back to you. And I, if I would add one more thing, as I would say is, most accountants are not risk takers. As you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'll gamble everything on anything. But if you don't take risks, you know, you have to take calculated risks. So if you can, man, if you can understand risk and figure out how to, how to manage and, and mitigate risk, and I, I think I'm pretty good at that across a lot of things, you can actually take risks and then those risks will pay off. And like, like a risk when, you know, when I was 30, starting my own firm. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. Who knows I was going to have my own, you know, have our own firm in, in, at 30 years old and taking risks of completely changing our, our traditional firm into a cloud-based firm and going all in on that. That was a risk. And I guess I've been fairly lucky and, you know, things have paid off due to the relationships and people that we've met along the way and doing the right thing. And so I think all of that. Do you have an accounting leader that you're, you're mentoring or bringing through the ranks? I am. I do. And do you enjoy that role? I do. Um, I enjoy time with him. He's like a sponge. I, I used to call me a sponge. He's like a sponge. He wants to learn everything, and it's great. I'm trying to make sure he sees a, he sees a lot of thi- a lot of different things. So, one of the things I was tasked with doing when I came to Aprio was finding my successor, and they and they take it seriously because that's how you have continuity of the firm. So I, I can't leave until I find my successor. So there you go. <laughs> you get the idea. But yeah, I'm. I'm we have a lot of really smart young people that have a lot of resources now and, and a lot of opportunity. And I think it's, I think that's great. All right, Bruce. Thank you. We'll leave it there. We really appreciate your time. <laughs> I enjoyed this. This is great. This has been fun. It's good. Just get, get to be me, right? You get to be you. It's good. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast. <laughs>